0: Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama Buddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Buddhasa Anichawata Sankau Padawaya dhavana upajitavani Rujanti te zangupasamo sukho Which means impermanent. In this particular case are all dharma talks and when it's your last one and you're finished then that's Te Zang that's peace and happiness, for me anyway. <laughs> Someone was telling me this is my last talk for this range retreat but that doesn't mean my last talk. It just starts more talks, at different places, different times, different occasions. But these are the talks for the range retreat and uh, again a week today we finished the Rains Retreat, up a poor in a day, and you all know just how quickly these things pass. And start the Rains Retreat before we know it, it's finished. And it just shows you just how quickly the time is passing, and just how fast you are approaching your demise, your death. It's always a very wonderful recollection, because it shows you actually you know, the important things in life, the important things in your life, you know, and just learning how to find peace learning how to find a sense of freedom. And in many interviews in the last uh, few days, I've been trying to squash them in because I have a retreat coming up um, on Friday evening. Uh, and in many of the interviews I've been encouraging each one of you the most important thing is to uh, know that the sense of peace, <coughs> the sense of inner freedom, contentment, happiness, these aren't sort of different words, that are pointing to the same thing, is increasing. You're becoming more content, more free from desire and ill will, not sort of more desire and ill will. You're beginning to settle down and slow down, the fire inside of you is beginning to ameliorate, die down. And that's the most important thing to recognise. I know that sometimes people come to uh, retreats like this, and they're looking for attainments, jhana, streaming, inning once-returning, non-returning, arahat. That's not a very, to me anyway, for most people brought up in Western culture, not a very useful, helpful way of looking at this progress. It just brings uh, brings more sense of self and the attainments, that I've got this, I've achieved that, now I have to work harder to get somewhere else. All that idea of attainments and getting somewhere seems to be, harmful to the path. So instead of trying to look upon your progress in terms of attainments and try to figure out and ask me and just uh, try and get confirmation this is what I experienced, what does it mean, can you please give me a certificate Ajahn Brahm that yes it's jhana, or yes it's dream reading or whatever and sometimes get fed up with that and usually tell people look it's only you know you can know that and even you can get deceived sometimes. What you can't deceive yourself with is the amount of peace, the amount of this inner happiness, this contentment, the settledness of your life. And if that is increasing, you'll know that. It means you're going in the right path. Continue on. You are lessening suffering. Dukkha is diminishing in your life. If Dukkha is increasing, then you know, that's something you should consider and try and find a way beyond trying to find a remedy for that. Obviously there are the two types of dukkha. It's really important that you can distinguish between the two of them. The one is the the physical dukkha, that one dart, which you can't do anything about basically. It's just there. You have a body, it will get sick, it will hurt, it will get tired, you will get sort of hot, whatever it is, is your particular ailment. You know, some people have got stomach aches, some people have got hay fever, some people have got bad backs, some people have got fat stomachs, I don't know what you've got but we have all got some disease. <coughs> but the most important thing is the second error, which is the mental error, and that's the one which causes all the problems and that's the one we try and get out. So when we do have the suffering of our life, it's that mental error that mental doubt, we can see just how many of those mental doubts we've removed. Just how much more are we able to cope, you know, with physical pain and sickness and discomfort. And also how we're ready to cope, you know, just with the discomfort and disappointment of not just our body but other people's body, the heat, the cold, the monastery, the life, the computer, whatever else gives you a lot of suffering. Exactly just how do we cope with that? And that means that we can take out the mental arrow of suffering. And so this is actually the how one understands the progress on the path. How much more peaceful one is, content one is, happy one is. And also as I mentioned to someone during the interview time, it is how much happiness you have with solitude. Which is another great indicator of just you know, where you are. If a person always loves to be out there with people, you know always sort of uh, associating with people and with doing things and just really getting involved in things which they don't really have to get involved with, you ask why what are you doing that for?" You know I put my hand up to say, "I have to do that. That's my role of being in the front. But I remember years ago when I took on this role of being like an abbot. My whole goal is to protect all the people as much as possible coming behind. Obviously I can't do that totally, but especially the younger monks and novices, they give you that freedom, so you don't have to do things, so you're protected you know, from all the busyness and stuff. But there's always some business for each one of us. But if you can go back to your hut and enjoy the seclusion and solitude, that's another good sign. It's another good sign because it means that, you know, you have your happiness and peace in things which are stable. There's the happiness, the joy, the fulfilment you get from building the hut, through refiguring the computer and seeing it working, through writing the book, you know, through whatever it is which uh, (coughs) you complete in this world. That's a happiness which doesn't really, uh, doesn't really stay very long. It's a happiness which gives you a tiny bit of fulfilment and then demands you go and do something else. Start another project, build another hut, do another monastery, write another book, it's almost endless. It is endless actually. But there are other things which do have ends. That's one of Ajahn Chah's teachings which I remember. It was one of those profound teachings. He said ever since he was very young, he liked things which have an ending not things which create more beginnings. It's a very interesting concept there, because a lot of times we usually like to start more projects, start new things. And he said, no, you just want to end all the old projects, tie up all the loose ends and don't make more loose ends. To always follow a path with an ending, rather than a path with no ending at all. It's a very beautiful thing. So how can we finish things? A lot of times I try to complete things, to finish things so they don't sort of come up again. Even conversations, to finish them. Okay, you can go now. That's one of the most happiest times, you know, when things are finished, not when they begin. So it's a happy time. <coughs> the end of a range Retreat, not a sad time. Because endings are where you find a huge amount of Dhamma and Truth. So I also, I said this somewhere, I'm not quite sure, probably here last week, where I mentioned the most important of the four holy places is not where the Buddha was born or became enlightened even, not where he gave the first sermon. For me the most important of those four holy places was where he attained Parinibbana, the ending, the full ending, complete ending of things. And to me that's the whole idea of this path, to end things, to stop them, to finish them, to complete them, because otherwise the life just keeps going on and on, starting afresh, starting anew. In particular, we want to end rebirths, not to start new rebirths, and that's our goal: end projects, not start new ones. Finish off, you know, the the application for a visa, and not have to do it again. Wouldn't that be bliss, Bodhidharma? finish off the last one and that's it, finish forever. So you can understand the joy of endings and the pain of beginnings. This is where one has the insight. So when you go to your hut, see if you can end it all. (laughs) Complete things, finish things and don't start new ones. So even like trains of thought which come in the mind, see if you can finish them, complete them, end them they don't start new trains of thought. That's a great skill in the use of the mind. Now, If you have a thought in the mind, finish it, complete it. And you'll find the way to complete those thoughts is not by following them to the you know, where you think they're going to lead. Because they're very delusive. They promise to lead you to something valuable. They just keep, keep uh, getting you round and round and round and round. There was an old story which the Sri Lankans used to tell me that when the Portuguese first landed in Colombo, they wanted to find out where the kings of Sri Lanka were, which was in Kandy and so they had this one Sri Lankan man who was supposed to lead them you know, to Kandy and because the Portuguese didn't know the way, he led them around a circle, literally a circle, many, many times around to get them totally lost because they could never find the direction and that was actually his his contribution to try and save the, the kings of Kandy from the the people who were invading the country. And that's just like samsara, like thoughts. They lead you round and round and round and round. Thinking you're getting somewhere, but you're just running literally around in circles. It's something which doesn't have an ending. Just like a satellite circling the the earth, just going round and round and round, but never getting to the centre of things. And that's just like the thinking. So it's wonderful to see if you can have thoughts which have an ending things like, I don't know, who cares, none of my business, just let it go. Those are all attitudes which stop things, which end things, which don't start new things. And in our monastic life, if that is our inclination to end things, to end projects, to stop things, then we are someone who's inclining to peace, with someone who's inclining towards solitude seclusion, who understands the end of things is the highest happiness. Te zang You know, that's only just you know, just rising and passing away are these sankharas, and just uh, the calming of them, settling them, so they stop, that is happiness, that is bliss. In the world we always try new projects, start new things, so at the end of this rains retreat, be careful, don't start new things. Your job is to empty, to simplify, to end things, to watch them vanish and disappear. And the more things have vanished, the more things have disappeared, the more sense of freedom you have. In my life, there's always so many more things, you end one thing and just people keep on loading more stuff on me, more invitations, more work, because uh, you know, I'm prominent. Never be like me, never be famous, never be well known. If you do become enlightened, shut up, keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody and pretend you're an idiot or a fool. Crack city jokes so people think you're superficial. I always remember that story of Sumana the novice. It's one of my favorite stories. this little novice, enlightened at seven psychic powers, who defeated this great Naga in the Anotapa lake in the Himalayas to get some water for somebody. Had his great duel with the the Naga, the dragon, defeated him and came back and offered the water to I think Sariputta or something. And anyway, the next day he was on arms round and being a little novice, people thought he was just a little novice, a fool. Hit him on the head, tweaked his ears. And just was was, quite sort of uh, cheeky to this little novice. And when the Buddha saw that, he pulled the monks aside in the evening and said, look, you don't know what you're playing with. That novice of previous day just defeated this amazing, powerful being. He's got such great psychic powers, an arahat, be careful. So you don't know who in this monastery is fully enlightened with great psychic powers, be careful. <laughs> you think, ah, oh, no, that guy can't be enlightened, be careful. You don't know, and the point is anyway that we try and end things. We don't. We celebrate the ending of things, not the beginning of things. People in the world they celebrate births. You know, when there's a new addition to the family, people have a big celebration. You go and see your the birth of your your new daughter, your new daughter or niece or something. Most of you wise enough, there's just more suffering in this world. The ending of things when people die, great free at last. At least you're free of them. don't have to visit them anymore. Understand? We're letting things disappear and vanish. And so the sign of your attainments, the sign that you're actually getting somewhere, the sign that this path is working, is how much that mental arrow is taken out, how many of those darts are removed, how much you enjoy endings and solitude and peace, whereas the rest of the world enjoys beginnings you enjoy endings. While the rest of the world enjoys activity, you enjoy peace. While the rest of the world enjoys company, you enjoy solitude. Just being by oneself, just living with yourself is hard enough. Living with other people with their defilements is actually crazy. And When you learn how to be with yourself, it's not that hard to do. You're not perfect. There's all sorts of rubbishy things going on in the mind and making them uncomfortable, but you learn to be at peace with that discomfort. You learn to accept the stupid mind. You learn how to just to, uh, to embrace even restlessness and tiredness. You allow it to be. You don't fight it. As I said here many times, that's old karma. The restlessness, the dullness, the craziness, the fantasies or whatever, that is old karma coming up. It's a result of what's happened before. So you can't do anything about it. You can't get rid of it. You don't need to feel guilty about it. It's beautiful that there's no person in there, so who are you getting upset about? So guilt has no place when there's no self in there. There's no one to blame, no one to punish, it's just causes and effects. So when you are experiencing the unpleasant, Uh, results of karma, you know all you can ever do, the only thing you can do, which makes any sense at all, is to make peace with it, be kind, be gentle, to make good karma with what you're experiencing. As I just mentioned in a little interview for a magazine just this evening, when they asked what the law of karma is just that simile of the two people baking a cake bad ingredients good ingredients the most important thing in baking and cooking is not the quality of your ingredients but how you put those ingredients together you know, people i'm surprised that sometimes that what you have in the kitchen to cook with sometimes you know you can't just go to the shop and buy something you just have to adapt to what you've got in the kitchen and you can make some amazing dishes just by innovating. And other people who have got the best ingredients can't cook at all. And you can understand what that simile is. I mentioned it in opening the door of your heart. <laughs> the ingredients you have to work with, which is what you're feeling right now. Your health, your sickness, your restlessness, your brightness, whatever it is. Good or bad, wholesome, unwholesome, you have to deal with right in this very moment. They're the ingredients you have you're stuck with those, but don't ever think that you can't make a beautiful cake with poor ingredients. you can It's not that hard to do. so whenever you're experiencing restlessness, dullness, frustration, physical discomfort, whatever, that is makes it difficult, but it's never it's never unsurpassable. When you make peace, be kind, be gentle with it, you're making beautiful, good karma. You're learning how to cook with the worst ingredients, and it works. By making peace, you're ending the old stuff. By being kind, you're taking away this, this really insidious ill will which underlies all the problems. I don't want this, this is not good enough, you're not good enough, the whole path is not good enough, the teachings are not good enough. Look, stop that ill will. Even more than desire, it just saps the energy, it just drains you, it creates this terrible negativity which takes you down into the hell realms. At least desire, if it's apart from ill will, can take you to a higher realm. Ill will take you to the lowest of realms. So at least get rid of all this fault finding and ill will and complaining and blaming. That's got no part of the path. So please let all of that go. And you do that just by being kind and being really gentle with your path. And you can do that at any time. If I'm ever busy, if I'm tired, if I'm just uh, ill, I always remember that's something I can always do. There's no time, even on an aircraft going somewhere, you're in front of a camera giving a talk, where people are just harassing you over silly questions about stupid things, or they're just sitting there wanting to take photographs of you, for goodness sake, why on earth do you want to take photographs of an old guy? Okay, EDF I was known. 20, 21, 22, looking like Brad Pitt, fair enough. But a 60 year old guy, fat, bald. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but instead of thinking it's ridiculous, I just make peace and be kind, be gentle. Okay, you can sit over here, smile. But either inside I think this is ad- idiotic. So by making peace, by being kind, being gentle, you are sort of creating this beautiful karma with whatever you have. And the result of that is you do feel this peace, this contentment, this sense of ease. That is showing you in the right path, the path of peace, the path which has an ending to it, not the path which has more beginnings. Because every time you get angry or critical, There's business to be done. When someone comes up to me and complains, oh, you should talk to this monk, he's done this and done that, I think, oh no, not more work to do. That's what I feel. Because it's something which doesn't have an ending. When I say, I just forgive them, let it go, that has an ending, that's peaceful. And so this is why I like endings. Criticism, fault finding, just makes more business in our world. More things to be done. Just kindness, gentleness and peace. Ends things. It gives you freedom. You know, one of the reasons why people are very critical in the world is because they don't like peace, they're afraid of it. They always want to sort of make more problems and difficulties in the world. They get off, you know, and sort of being a troublemaker. There's a certain sort of happiness in that. But there are people who don't know endings. They're always busy doing something. Those people who like peace, who incline towards peace and value peace, they're the ones who don't develop the fault-finding, negative mind. They're not critical. They see someone making a mistake. Oh, they'll learn. They're just growing. That's just the way they are. And you know, you think of how you were in those early days. And I saw the sort of things which I got up to and the stupid things which I did. You know, I used to be a joker. You know, sometimes that. You know, if ever I sort of fell asleep during meditation, I used to tell people, I said, Look, you know, I'm fighting Mara. Who am I to defeat Mara? I'd be really conceited and proud and up myself if I think I can defeat Mara, so I'd just give in. (laughs) That's what I used to say as a joke. So people thought I was just being a joker. I was talking to someone, I think, earlier, that when I first came here, Ajahn Chakra was the teacher. I was very quiet, very peaceful. And the only thing which I really did to contribute, I was writing these articles in our newsletter, in the the first editions of our newsletter. And I used to say the news, what was happening in the monastery. And I always make fun and and crack jokes in that newsletter. And people thought I was just a fool. Very funny, but just no sort of depth in it. And as soon as sort of Ajahn. Uh, chakra started getting me to teach, they realised, no, there was something more underneath all of that. Never realised what was going on inside. You never go out and tell people, or sort of uh, uh, advertise yourself, that's not the way a monk works. But you are into just ending things, and being still, being peaceful, spending time by yourself and enjoying that. And so in those years you found out that the the mind become more at peace, more at ease. You're taking out the mental arrow, physical arrow you couldn't do much about. The world, the life outside, but the mental arrow which fights, which complains, which gets angry, which strives with, with craving to try and get what you want. That's the stuff which I found was taking away my peace, was starting more things. And I never found an ending to that. But in meditation, in peace and stillness, there you found those endings. Thoughts stopped. Time stopped. Time ended. Yeah, you know, you say there's so much time has gone past since we started this retreat, but it just feels the same. Every moment always feels the same for me. Time hasn't moved, time hasn't gone anywhere, I'm still staying here and time's time's done the moving, not me. And you stay in this place of stillness, of peace, you stop time that way, just by being here, until there's no more perceptions of past or future, all this coming and going, all this tomorrow and the next day and all your plans of where you're going to go next and what you're going to do, or your memories of where you've come from, even what you're doing this morning, to me that's just such a burden, so you just allow all of that to cease and it's so much freedom when you allow these things to cease to end, and when they end, it's not the case of that one thing ends another thing arises. it ends and stays ended for hours sometimes. you be able to sit in your cave and just have no perception of time, no idea of how many minutes have gone by. You come out afterwards and oh my goodness, have I missed lunch, have I, what is it, the afternoon, evening, should I be going to bed or should I be having a cup of tea, what's going on? And be able to sort of do that, it's very beautiful, it means that you're no longer a prisoner of the clock, you've ended time, be able to sit there and just be totally silent not a thought going on in your mind, not not a, a description happening, you're just sitting there, just perfect knowing, but without any commentary. You've ended this inner chatter. Oh my goodness, that's bliss. It's, uh, somebody was uh, saying today there's a dog barking next to their house, they can't go to sleep and they can't stay in their house and having a lot of problems. isn't it wonderful when the dog stops? Or when you stop, which is the most wonderful? And obviously it's when you stop is more important than when the dog stops. As Ajahn Chah always used to say, not the sound disturbs you, you disturb the sound. It's not the thoughts disturb you, you disturb the thoughts, and by disturbing you keep them going, you don't end them by disturbing them. So we need to know how to end things to let them be until they stop. The dog is still barking, but we're not, lis- not listening anymore. We're not complaining. Our mind is still and peaceful. The more you can do things like that, the more you can just let go of the mental arrow of suffering, that is showing you're understanding and you're progressing on the path. When people come up and say they've seen this and they've seen that, they've seen kalapas, they, they've understood the nature of all things, they've seen that they don't exist, and all that sort of stuff. I've been a monk a long time. That doesn't really cut any ice with me. In other words, I don't really look to what you report, but look to what you, how you behave. Just how peaceful you are, how calm you are how much you do incline towards solitude. The peace on your face, the countenance, that tells me much more than your mouth can ever tell you. And it's the same with yourself because it's very easy to think of how much you progressed. To conceptualise it just the same way you may tell me, you may tell yourself. That doesn't really count for very much. What really counts is just how peaceful you are. Whether you can really let go of things whether someone can call you camel face and it just literally does have no echo at all. You get criticised and it just disappears straight away. You get praised and that also leaves no residue. A long time ago, I gave a simile of having a mind like a padded cell. The old padded cell simile. So when something hits the wall of the cell, it never bounces. It is squelches into the side and never moves, with no sound, no echo, no bounciness. Having a mind like that, so praise and blame doesn't bounce around in your mind. Success and failure, all these worldly dhammas, happiness, suffering, praise and blame, none of it bounces inside your head. It's called ending things. So whatever happens leaves no residue. The retreats, it's gone, when it's gone, it's gone. It leaves no echo afterwards. You're a person who ends things, who doesn't collect things. Only then can you have emptiness, peace and freedom. If you're a collector, you're a person who has a bouncy board inside your mind, going backwards and forwards. It's called thinking, it's called proliferation, it's a cause of samsara. If your mind has got these padded walls on the outside, so nothing bounces, if something hits it, that's it, as soon as it hits it, it stops, finishes, gone. A person who ends things. And when you have that ability, so any experience in the mind, it just ends as soon as it arises. Only then can you understand the way into deep meditation. An image, a nimitta arises, it leaves no residue. means the next nimitta can come up, no residue. Things arise and you keep nothing. This idea of holding things and keeping them, that's what stops you progressing. You hold nothing, you keep nothing. Your mind is just like the hand through which sand passes. It doesn't even, like the lotus leaf. So the other beautiful simile, the lotus leaf, where beautiful scented water or urine flows off the lotus leaf and leaves no trace. As soon as it hits it, it rolls off. You no know, stinky urine, piss, or beautiful scented water, or even better, even more delicious, you know, Tea with condensed milk. <laughs> it does, that's only joking. It doesn't stain or leave any trace on the lotus. All flows off. Now you have a mind like that happiness and suffering, any you of know the, the dhammas, they just all flow off, leaving no trace. And I like the thing about leaving no trace because too many of us collect too much, collect the experiences of our retreat. Sometimes you ask you, how was your retreat, how are you going? You say, I don't know, it's gone, it's finished, past. Right now, yeah, this is how I feel. So you don't collect things. You have this beautiful mind which is free, which enjoys the ending, finishing. That's why I keep on saying my favourite button on the computer is delete. Not backspace, not forward, but delete. I just love that button. I wonder why that's not right in the center of the computer. In the Big, with a big happy smile and it delete. Because <coughs> that's what I like doing in my mind as well. Deleting things. Deleting my history. Deleting all these ideas of trying to be a great monk, being a great speaker. Deleting all this pressure of trying to give a good talk. <coughs> just deleting everything. Seeing how much I can get rid of, not how much I can amass. Seeing just how much things can end, give rise to no more new things. That's a beautiful stuff. So when you know how to do that, you know that you're taking out this mental arrow. And you're understanding, yes, it's coming out because there's more sense of ease and peace and freedom. And you look back, if you do look back on where you've come from, you say, gee, I was so stupid. Why do I get involved in so many things? Why do I get upset and angry at these people who are, yeah, they're not perfect, but they're, you know, they're monks, they're nuns, they're uh, Anagarikas, they're lay people, they're just doing as best they can. It's like getting angry, it's coming out soon, it hasn't happened yet, the flies and the ticks and all these other things. Why are you getting angry at a tick? It's a tick, is just doing its job, it's just having lunch. So it's irritating, but it's just a tick being a tick, it's just a uh, fly being a fly. And do you get really angry at the flies and think, you stupid fly, you've got no right up my nose when I'm in jhana? Of course you don't think about things like that. So why do you get upset and angry at a person because they don't turn up on time to do the clean up? Or because you know they say the wrong thing, or they, they do the wrong thing? It is people being people, humans being humans, husbands being husbands, wives being wives, kids being kids. So when you understand that, you can take out the mental arrow of suffering, let it go, be free. And the more you can do that, the more you can be in a temple, in a monastery, and things happen, goes your way sometimes, goes another way sometimes. You can always be at peace. You can always make peace, you can always be kind, you can always be gentle. and That's a sign that you're on the path and things are happening. That you are making progress. It's important to know that because sometimes we think, oh, I have, so far in this retreat I haven't got jhana yet, Ajahn Brahm said, someone else has got jhana and they're just a lay person, they've done nothing. I've been sacrificed everything for this and I haven't got jhana yet, this is really unfair and I came all this way to get jhana, I sacrificed so much. And Some of you may ask for your money back, with all the money you got from your diakas to come here and the airfare, I haven't got jhanas. Ah. Now of course that's not how you practice. How you practice is. How much peace have you got? Kindness. I often think, because I talk so much about jhanas and other things, and people aspire to these things, haven't got a clue what they are, that's the problem. If you've really experienced a jhana, you know what it is, it's very obvious you don't get these things by aiming for them, by striving for them, by wanting them. It's very clear that these are states of mind which yeah, you, know, you may sort of have some conceptual idea of what they are. You may have heard you know, descriptions of them, but because you don't know what they are, you aim in the wrong direction. It's great if you have a few experiences, then you understand what I'm talking about. People aim for them with effort, with striving, with the whole idea that you aim for things in the world like your degrees. Like, you know, learning Pali or whatever. That takes a certain type of effort. But jhanas take the complete opposite. Just like I was saying last week, it's not going up the, the bank of the river or down the bank of the river. It's not more of the same. It's totally different. That totally different effort, that totally different inclination of the mind is what we're encouraging in this monastery, in this path, the mind which just stops, which ends things, doesn't make new attainments but ends all your old attainments and in that ending of everything, there the jhanas arise, through stillness, through stopping, just being here, not aspiring for anything, just making peace, being kind, being gentle the world ends. The world as you knew it ends. All the sinking, planning, time, all of the ideas of who you are, all the fears and hopes, all vanish, they all end. When they end, what's left is jhanas. When the first jhana ends, second jhana is left. This is the ending of the mind, ending of movement, ending of will, ending of doing things, brilliant. You can't end doing by more doing. You can't make peace by waging war and people wage war on their mind, they haven't achieved anything yet and they fight and it's okay the last battle, the last push into jhana, Seven days left. Right, I'm not even going to sleep. No more coffee, no more sweets. And actually, I'm a waste of time talking like that because none of you do that anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> in some monasteries they do, you know, they really are stupid. At least you've got the wisdom to, you know, not follow that path. And instead, we use our beautiful wisdom powers, I keep on saying. It's incredible wisdom power, not willpower. Because, you know, well, you've got, you've got strong enough wills already, if you didn't have strong enough determination you would not be in a Buddhist monastery for three months. It's a tough thing to actually to manage to get here. Especially those of you in robes. Great determination to go against the world and make it into brown robes. Wonderful. You have enough determination or well, you haven't got enough wisdom. I don't mean learning, I mean wisdom. Seeing things in a totally different way. Seeing what stopping is. So Every time that things have ended and stopped, what happens? Do you just rest and enjoy the ending? And the the echo of stillness which happens afterwards? Of freedom, of peace? Or do you go and start new things? See if you can just pause when something ends and don't move, enjoy the taste of freedom, that's why people who have such a hard time being quiet, always tell them to watch the end of a thought, the end of a word, and don't begin a new word. pause and enjoy endings. There you find the path to Jhanas, the path to Nibbana, not in doing more things or beginning more things and starting more things, but when things end and stop, finish, vanish, gone, Niroda, cessation, that's why this whole path This whole range retreat celebrates endings, not more beginnings. Doing less and less and less. Going to your hut, sitting down and stopping. Ending things, not starting new things. Nothing. Right now I'm going to meditate. No, stop meditating. Stop doing anything. Sit down, shut up and stop. Pause. End things. Don't start something new. That is this beautiful gap where silence, where peace, where meditation lives. And you develop that, you have great meditation. Understand what meditation is. It's no longer just believing what someone else says. It's not just having faith. Uh, Ajahn Brahm says this is good, maybe one day I might get it. You're getting it right now. End the mind, end the thought, end time, end all this coming and going, end staying still, end everything. Then you have the taste of freedom. And you stay there long enough and it develops. That's the incredible thing, it's not when you end things nothing happens, when you end things things sort of unwrap, just like the present or the, the parcel which you have. Those of you seeing that portrait, which somebody in Indonesia painted of me, Bodhidharma being my um, attendant, helped me unwrap that. And then how many layers of wrapping was, was on there? And it took a long time, you got through one layer of wrapping, there's another one underneath and had to unravel that, that was so well wrapped about six or seven layers before we actually got inside and found out what was inside of it. Just that's like the jhanas. They're wrapped and the wrapping is wrapped and the wrapping of the wrapping is wrapped in something else. And all you need to do is be still and all that wrapping just comes off. That rock is, is really meant by a wrapper. <laughs> just things come apart, disappear, and end and finish. And that's the silence and the peace. My goodness, I just—if you imagine it being in my position, always having these things which people ask you to do, but ending something. Ah, oh that's where I have a, my, my most fun: the end of a talk, the end of a trip. At the end of a day, at the end of a life, freedom, bliss at last, all this work, the burden of having a human body, you can lay down that burden, finish with it. But be careful, if you don't know how to end things, you're always beginning new things. If that is your habit, when you do lay down this body, when it does die, you just go and pick up another one again. It's another thing to do, another life, another heap of suffering because you don't know how to end things, pause and leave them alone. I've often wondered about that path of why people get reborn. Many people say, I don't want to get reborn, I know it's suffering. But they can't stop themselves, they can't be still, they can't end. They're not skilled in endings. So if you're skilled in endings by following what this talk is all about, when a moment ends, you don't start a new one. Time finishes, the next moment doesn't arise. The end of the world happens, another big bang doesn't occur. you finished you can't do that now and train yourself to end and be still, when this f- five senses and its body finishes, you'll carry on. You don't know how to stop. You just haven't got the skill. How on earth can you end rebirth? You just keep going on. More creating, more thoughts, more experiences, more Vedna, more worlds, endless. So we learn how to end things right now. We train how to end things. We are skilled in ending things. So when we really need to end things once and for all, our death, the last breath goes out. The mind doesn't struggle. Time stops, thoughts stop. You get so still. So you do go into those jhanas. It was, I think, I'd, I'd like to ascribe these great ideas when I can remember who said them. This comes from Bhikkhu Dhamma Buddha. That's, um, uh, what's it, uh, Samaneri Gotami's brother, you know, uh, Sally, Moon King's uncle, Dhamma Buddha. He once said, he said, because I know the Buddha Enter entered Parinibbana after the fourth jhana. He said, perhaps that's the only way to get out of samsara, through that particular attainment. And when he mentioned that, I really got interested and contemplated, and I think he's really got a strong point that's not mentioned, Not, I don't think even in the Abhidharma. It's not in the commentaries, but I really think that he's onto something there. I actually agree with him. You get so still, nothing moves and then you exit. You stop and nothing more arises, it's gone. Ending, pause and no more arisings, samsara finished. If you can't stop and end things now, you'll go on again. And my goodness, you all know just how difficult, problematical this life is. Each one of you have had lots of disappointments, not getting your own way, being sick, being ill. And this is a good life you've got. Of all the many lives you've lived, this one is a ripper. Pretty neat, wonderful, good health in a good time of, of peace, prosperity, few wars, human life. That's why sometimes when people do get into some deep meditation I encourage you to remember past lives because, look, if you don't, if those of you who still have doubts about reincarnation or rebirth, whatever you call it, you know, you're really sort of behind the eight ball with those sorts of doubts. You're not going to get anywhere unless one sees the big picture, the truth that this is not your only life, many lives you've lived. Here's another one. Pretty good but it still sucks, still lots of problems and difficulties, you all know that. The difficulties of being respected by others, the difficulties of getting a teacher's cottage built. There's always people let you down mm. and that's actually the easy stuff in life. Some of you get very sick, disappointed, lose your money, whatever else happens. It can be very painful and difficult. Really sick, so you've got no energy. So it gets very difficult sometimes. So once you remember your past lives, you know that this is just one amongst many. It puts it in perspective. But it also shows you the true extent of the dukkha. So you need to get out. And once you realise that that's the whole point of Buddhism, to get out of samsara, to stop rebirth, at least you've understood some of the Four Noble Truths, a whole heap of it. Especially the first one. Birth is suffering, that's another factor of the the dependent origination. When I sort of saw that, that was actually the deepest, most important uh, link of the 12 links of dependent origination, actually you see 11 links, 12 factors, 11 links, if you count them, because I did maths, so Mm -hmm. really it's 11 links, 12 things, okay. So when you actually see that one link, birth, leads to suffering, that really hit me. It means that once you're born, you're stuffed. There's no way, nothing you can do, you're going to suffer, it's already too late. You just lessen the suffering, but the most important part is make sure you don't do that again, don't get born again. And that becomes the whole meaning of the monastic life of Buddhism. How to end rebirth. The ends become the most important. Not the beginnings, the ends. How to bring about an end of things. And you can see why. Why can't you put an end to something now? Why do we always keep going on? Why can't we just stop? When you learn the trick of stopping, of ending, pausing, and delight in ending then you know the path of freedom. Don't delight in beginnings, delight Be in endings and then you know freedom and as you delight more in endings you know you're making progress. So the end of the retreat, delight, retreats over. Don't start another one. That's the talk this evening. Very good.